Matthew 28 is the end of the gospel. We've heard Jesus' teachings and read about all of his signs, and through them, Jesus has insisted that he is not only the son of David, rightful heir to the throne in Jerusalem, but the son of God, heir of all creation. But do those claims mean anything if Jesus is still dead in the tomb? Verse 1 brings us to the first day of the week. And despite all of Jesus' explicit predictions that he would die and rise on the third day, none of the disciples show up to see if that's actually happened. Instead, we have Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mary Magdalene is the one who seven demons were cast out of in Luke chapter 8 verse 2, and is featured in all four Gospels at the cross and the tomb. Ever since the beginning, detractors have wanted to deny the resurrection. We see that even happening in Matthew 28, 11 through 15. But if that were the case, then the gospel writers have chosen some really poor witnesses to prove the resurrection. In Jewish culture of their day, women were considered unreliable witnesses. Their eyewitness accounts couldn't be held up in a court of law. The sin of Eve, who had deceived her husband, had clung to all women, and so plenty of men were wary of their testimony. Yet it's the women who were at the cross while the men fled, and who were at the tomb when the stone was rolled away. And as they arrive, an angel descends, frightening the Roman guard into fainting, and telling the women to look into the tomb. It's interesting to note that the tomb was already empty before the stone was rolled away. The tomb wasn't opened for Jesus' sake, but for the women. And as they go to tell the disciples about what they've seen, who else do they meet on the way but Jesus? And he's got good news for them in verse 10. Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The last we saw the disciples, one had betrayed Jesus and hung himself. Another denied him three times and wept bitterly. And the remaining ten have scattered after his arrest. Jesus had been completely abandoned by them at his suffering. But he still calls them brothers. And in verses 16 through 20, Jesus chooses to launch his worldwide kingdom through his brothers. All authority has been given to him, and he is using it to send his disciples out into the world with this job. Starting in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. In the Greek language, there are specific ways to communicate a command. In Jesus' words, the only command, grammatically, is to make disciples. That's the focus of our work for the kingdom, to guide other people to Jesus so that they can repent and follow him in everything. And we carry that command out by going. The church is to be active in reaching out to the lost. Whether you go to a foreign country or go to your neighbor, you are to be reaching out to the other people with the good news of Jesus. And if we're to make disciples, then we also need to baptize them. The popular answer to what must I do to be saved has for many years been along the lines of accepting Jesus into your heart as your personal savior or saying the sinner's prayer. And with so much stress on being saved by faith alone, many people have described baptism as a work which can't save us. But here we have it straight from Jesus. If you want to be his disciple, you have to be baptized. Just as Israel was only freed from Egypt by going down into the waters of the Red Sea, we need to go down into the waters of baptism. Just as Jesus went down into the grave, we need to be buried with him by baptism. And if we want to receive the Holy Spirit, we do so in the same way that Jesus did in Matthew chapter 3. 
at his baptism. It's our commitment to Jesus, following him into death and being raised into a new life. And Jesus says that to make disciples, we need to teach and observe all that Jesus had commanded. Our initial step in following Jesus is to be followed by many more as we come closer and closer to him. And just as God created something good in Genesis chapter 1 through his spoken word, he's going to continually shape us into something good as we're taught by his word. This is how Jesus expects his kingdom to grow. On one hand, it's really intimidating. Going out into all the world is a scary thought given how hostile people are to the good news. You read through the book of Acts, and it shows how much we might suffer for his sake. But Jesus assures us that all authority has been given to him. He's in control of it all, and that he is with us from beginning to end. We should understand that we're not the driving force behind the kingdom. We're the tools that God works through in order to make disciples. And as intimidating as it is, it's also incredibly simple. There are many who attempt to save the world by starting large movements or engaging with politics. And those can be helpful, but it's not what Jesus told us to do. He told us to go out and teach people. And you don't need to be anybody important if you want to do that. Just as Jesus was with his disciples as the church was growing in the book of Acts, he's with us today. Death couldn't hold Jesus, and nothing will hold back his kingdom 